Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary VTW. void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus hi i'm rob schneider and i'm kevin david thomas and this is behind the curtain broadway's living legends don't forget to follow us on twitter at broadway curtain and make sure to join our facebook page at behind the curtain broadway's living legends and follow us on instagram at broadway curtain podcast Plus, you can always listen to all of our episodes old and new on the Broadway Podcast Network, iTunes, and Spotify. It has been said that before it was cool, today's guest did it, and they are correct. She was the owner of two cabaret spaces, was an unwed mother, an international sex symbol, a cougar, understudied and went on for Barbara Streisand, became an advocate for those like herself with DVT, and received Golden Globe and Emmy nominations for her work on both the large and small screen and such projects as, these are our favorites, My Favorite Year, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, The Nanny, Lust in the Dust, You Don't Mess with the Zohan, Beaches, and so many more. But... As prolific as her on-camera work is, today we are celebrating her countless appearances on stage in such shows as The Happiest Girl in the World, Bravo Giovanni, Funny Girl, My Favorite Year, The Government Inspector, Bermuda Avenue Triangle, as well as regional productions of A Little Night Music, Man of La Mancha, Gypsy, Hello Dolly, Fiddler on the Roof, and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, not to mention her indelible recording career, which includes The Chanteuses Loose, Body and Soul, and In the Group. To tell us what it was like to work with such legends as Julie Stein, Barbara Streisand, Peter O'Toole, Joe Bologna, Renee Taylor, Tony Randall, Francis Ford Coppola, and so many more, here is everyone's dream mamala, Lainey Kazan. Lainey, how are you today? I'm terrific. Oh, and how are you? Good. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Good. Now, Lainey, it was... We... It was was a shock, but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we're just, well, that's okay. So, so Lainey, we know that you're in LA right now, but we know you grew up in New York, in Brooklyn, Brooklyn. right? Okay. So while you were in Brooklyn, did your family ever take you to see any Broadway shows? Did you make the trip into the city? Yes. My first um, Broadway show was South Pacific. Oh. With Mary oh. Martin. Oh my gosh. That was the first time I went to the theater. And it was, uh, I knew then and there I had to be up there. I, I wanted to, that's what I wanted to do. That was the production, just that show. I mean, like going to see that show. I mean, really, that was the moment. That was the moment. Well, I mean, I was singing from the time I was a little girl. I mean, I really? was like four. And I was singing and dancing. I, I, I did my first live performance at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. Oh, wow. 
and I was about four or five years old. I I I did. I'll be down to get you in taxi, honey. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I I was I was uh, you know that was it. Was there a lot of music around the house when you were growing yes. up? My father and my mother both loved the theater. They went to see a lot of nightclub performers. Um, they listened to Porgy and Bess constantly. Mm. I mean, that was a show that was on Broadway at the time, and they went to see it and got the album. And my father listened to a lot of blues, mm-hmm. a lot of country stuff. My mom loved the theater and all those legitimate performances. And what did your folks do for a living? My mother was a housewife. Uh, she made reservations <laughs> the restaurants. And my father was a bookie, a bookmaker. And until I was about, oh, maybe 12 or 13, I thought he was in publishing. But he was a bookie. (laughs) So what does that mean for those, the listeners who might be a little new to what that 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 means? It means that he took bets. um, And he, he, uh, it wasn't legal at the time. Now it is legal. But it, it was a, a business that was undercover. And uh, we lived uh, a very hectic life. We lived in Brooklyn in the summers, not in the summers, but in the spring and fall. In the winter, we lived in Miami Beach. Oh. And in the summers, I went to Camp Shanawa in the Adirondacks. Oh. And, uh, and all of that nurtured my my dream, you know, all of it, because when I was in New York, of course, we went to the theater. And um, so I saw Peter Pan with Mary Martin as well. Yeah. And um, once in love with Amy, what was... Where's what, Charlie? Where's Charlie? I saw that. Um, I, I saw a lot of Broadway shows after I saw South Pacific. Did you have and, an idol? Was like Mary Martin one of your favorites, or did was I there loved, anybody? But Judy Garland was my idol. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went to see her, I think, five times at the Palace. Oh um, my god! My mom with my mom, we both loved her. Yeah. And um, you know, later on in life, I got to meet her and go to her home. What was that like sitting oh, in the living room with your idol? It was incredible. I um I got a call. I was on the Dean Martin show at the time, and she called me backstage. Or I had somebody call me backstage, and they invited me to her home for, to a Christmas party. And of course, I went, and I took my husband to be with me, uh, uh, who was Peter Daniels, and um, he uh, he and I went to a Rockingham Road in Bel Air, and um, she opened the door. And I, I, I seriously almost fainted. I almost passed <laughs> out. I, I just, this was like, oh my god! And she sat next to me all night. And then she asked me if I would sing for her. I said, oh no, no, no. She said, please, if you sing for me, I'll sing for you. Oh. And I sang. I sang. Um, I don't remember what I sang. I was so nervous. Yeah. And then she sang somewhere with the rainbow. My husband played it for her on the oh. piano. Oh, it was incredible, an evening. It was an evening that I'll never, ever forget. What a magical, magical yeah. night. What is What about her performing style that do you still take with you to this day or maybe in some way try to end? I think so. I think it was, um, I felt that she loved everyone in the audience. Mm. And, 
and they loved her back. You know, they they uh, worshipped her, and um, I think there's some part of me that wants that communication, and I think I get it, and I think I don't try, but I think it's embedded in me. I mm-hmm. think it's something that is 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 a, is instinctual. I think maybe because of her, I also loved, you know, I, I loved a lot of those. I love Betty Hutton. Oh, I yeah. I saw her live in Miami Beach. I saw her live. Um, she was funny. Yeah. And, and my daddy was funny. He was hysterical. My mother had absolutely no sense of humor <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> but but my, my dad was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, and um, he took me to see all the Abbott and Costello movies. And, oh, wow. You know, just that that was his, you know, take on life. Mm-hmm. So how did they react when you say, listen, I'm I'm going to do this. This is going oh, to. Oh, they were very supportive. Of oh, good. I good. got, yeah. I, and, and, my, and I went to college and my parents right. wanted me to go to university. I got a scholarship to Hofstra University and I, I that's why I went there. And so I graduated uh, with a BA in theater, and um, and it, it it didn't it didn't stop me. While I was in college, I did a show called Leave It to Jane for mm-hmm. three years. So I was in that show. I, I I auditioned in my sophomore year, and stayed throughout. And I in summers I did um, uh, Westbury Westbury. Music, Westbury music fairs, and. Um, and I, I, I also did the happiest girl in the world. And where did you get your equity card, if I may ask? Do you the happiest you... girl in the world. Oh, that was your equity card. Oh. Wow. Your Broadway debut. Nice. Yeah. So, so, so Lainey, just so I understand, so you were in college and still doing Leave It to Jane at the same time? Yeah. I would take the train, the Long Island Railroad, uh, back to school at night, uh, the 10-something train, and I would get up in the morning and go to classes and um, and then get on the train at, at like four o'clock in the afternoon, put my makeup on on the train. That's and I was skilled. I knew I mean, I didn't I put my makeup on and it was perfect. <laughs> and I would get off the train and put my costume on and I there I go. Leave it to Jane, Jane, Jane. <laughs> and they made a recording of it, right? I think there's a cast recording. Yeah, of there it. is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what a great uh, first <laughs> entryway well, job. It was so your... interesting because I was with my girlfriend and we were in the village and it was a Saturday afternoon. And um, I, I, she said to me, oh, look, there's auditions today for a, a show in, at the Sheridan Square Playhouse. And I said, oh, I don't want to do that. She, I said, we're in Bermuda shorts and I, I, I'm not up to that. She said, oh, come on, let's go in. So there was a dance audition, and we both made the first leg of it, uh, so to speak. And uh, <laughs> and then Joe Baru, who was the producer of that show, asked me if I would asked us if we would come and you know did I sing? I said, well, I sing a little. And he said, you know, could you come to my my home on Sunday tomorrow, and we're having singing auditions. So I went with my girlfriend, Ellen, who's still my dearest friend. And uh, we went and I got the job and she didn't. And yeah. Sorry, Ellen. um, 
And then the rest was history. I met some friends that I still relate to and talk to and communicate with. And I have people who are in my life still. That's the magic of theater. Do you remember what song you auditioned with? I I used to sing all the time. I'm not at all in love. Not at all in love. (laughs) And then I used to sing um, some ballad. I don't remember what it was. I don't remember. I don't remember. Maybe that same song slower. Who knows? <laughs> you know? So tell us a little bit about, well, let me ask you, when you were doing this, were you also going to HB Studios at the time or did that come later in your life? You know, HB Studios was not where I went. I mean, I don't know what that story is, but he was a dirty old man. And he used to hit on me. I went there like three times and I said, this that's it for me. I Good just, for you. I, yeah, I, you. I didn't deal with him. I mean, I know he had a great reputation, but I never studied with him. Not really. I studied with Sanford Meisner. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about Sanford Meisner. Oh my God. He was my hero. Oh, he got me ready for my audition for funny girl. He was my, he was my, 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 my hero. I mean, he, ch- he used to take me to his hotel and, and, and work with me. And he just loved me. He called me Gadge. And I didn't understand why he called me Gadge. But uh, they called Ilya, Ilya Kazan Gadge. And I don't. I still don't know why. But uh, I, I do want to find out. If, if you ever find out why. You'll be I the first one we t- Yeah. Gadge. So that he called me Gadge Kazan. And he. I worked with him for two years. Yeah. And Lainey, if I understand correctly, because you teach as well now, um, a lot of people, I think, sometimes struggle with the idea of taking Meisner technique and applying it to musical theater songs. But that's really what you teach in your class. Is that correct? I teach pretty much the Strasbourg method. Oh, okay. I I teach the method. Now, Sanford, Sandy was uh, a method teacher, but he was much more structured. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I combined the two techniques Got as it. a professor, as an adjunct professor. That's what I teach. Got I it. teach acting for the singer. Mm. And I teach at UCLA, and I have taught at NYU. But um, my home is here, so I, I teach here. I, I hate to ask you this without giving you some sort of compensation for it, because you're, you're a teacher and deserve to be paid. But what are some of the things that you impart onto your students uh, when they when they take your class, I tell them about my life a mm-hmm. lot. I I I give them um, information to get through life with. Um, I, I I try and impart the problems I've had, so maybe that they will escape those handicaps. I I try and uh, I teach them all sensory work. How to, how to go inside themselves, that going inside and then presenting that finished product is much more exciting than somebody who's dazzling you. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody who is really feeling and truly in the, in the uh, working the method, I believe is the true actor. Uh, I know that a lot of people hear the method and they they you know oh my god you know 
but I, I believe in it wholeheartedly. I think all our great actors were method actors. And for a listener who might not be familiar yet with the method, how would you define it um, as an acting style and acting education? It, it encompasses uh, reliving a lot of things in your life. Reliving. Reliving. Uh, going back to your experiences and bringing them to the surface so that you can use them in whatever you're playing and whatever, and, 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 and identifying the characters in your own life so that the character of, uh, let's say, uh, uh, Gittle Mosca in Seesaw, uh, is that closer to you or is it somebody you know and that you can uh, actually absorb that character? And you become that character and you have experiences as that character um, by doing these exercises. They're sensory work, uh, uh, animal exercises, because sometimes you can just be an animal and that, that will give you uh, a, a character. Uh, uh, you know, if you're a, a bird and the bird has a nervous twitch uh, or a, a, a tiger. You know, and you approach the character in, in, in as an animal, and 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 then of course you you know you know you dissect the, the the script and you know what your beats are and you it's a very very difficult process to act to sing a song, and I think that most people just sing the song they they don't they don't they don't live the words. And that's what I teach. And I, and I have had a lot of success with my students. It's, you know, it's so interesting that you say that because before we went on the air and, you know, in, in the process of doing research, I, I came across you singing uh, Copacabana. Um, and your performance of it is so acting intensive. How do you go about approaching a song or approaching a character? Or does it d change depending on what the material is? No, I approach I approach everything in the same way. I like, for example, Copacabana for me was a play. It was a play. It was a whole play. I saw Lola. I knew who she met. I knew where she was. I was at the Copa. I had a boyfriend who was like Rico, so I used him. Um, and then I I I lost my mind as she was a drunk. And that's, and, and, you know, Barry Manilow came in to hear me sing. And that's when he put the whole Copacabana, uh, that whole piece as, as a play. Oh, wow. That's well, interesting. That's very, that's very cool. That is very, yeah. very cool. Let me go back if I can, Lainey. You said that Sanford Meisner helped you in your audition for Funny Girl. In what way? How did he help you? Well, he taught me how to act. That was, he gave me technique, a technique. He had uh, uh, the, his, his rules, he was, had an independent activity. So you were always doing something. So you weren't just sitting there. Mm -hmm. uh, you always had some kind of an activity to do. He always had an emotional memory, you know, and there were all these little, uh, like, uh, techniques that 
I put into my audition and I took the time and I I really learned my my words and I I remember auditioning for the understudy. I didn't audition for the play. I got the play. My what happened was Garson came in the director and um, Carol Haney and I worked together one summer in a production, an Oldsmobile industrial show. And we became friends. I loved Carol Haney. Yeah, I'd love she to hear more about her. was a choreographer and a great dancer, just great, a Jack Cole dancer. Yeah. And she was, oh my God, she was so great. And she said, you know, I'm doing a little uh, musical uh, based on Fanny Bryce. And my father loved Fanny Bryce. So I knew all about Fanny Bryce. I had a uh, little little shtick she used to do, and I dressed like her. I had a big bow and a, a short skirt, and you know, kind of like you know, one of her characters. And um, I took pictures like that, and I I knew her sense of humor, and I knew what she did, and I knew about my man and how she sang, and I really identified with her. And I didn't know um, that Barbara Streisand was the lead. I And then when I found out, I had gone to school with Barbara Streisand. I didn't know her. I did not know her. You were like, she was like a freshman when you were like a senior or something like that? Yeah, or, something yeah. like that. Yeah. A sophomore or junior. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But, um, Anyway, to make a long story short, I, um, I, I was singing at a little club called The Living Room, which was on 2nd Avenue in Manhattan. And uh, they had a trailer outside, like, because it was The Living Room. So I had a press agent and he um, said, we should get a, a trailer and we'll have milk delivered and we'll have, we'll do a whole little shtick. So I did that and I caught a lot of attention and I got written up every day in the newspaper. It was the newspaper strike. And so there was only one paper, the post, and I was in the post every single day. <laughs> and, and they came in to hear me sing. Carol Haney brought Garson Kane in and um, musical director and Carol Haney. And they came in to hear me and they hired me to play a part, Vera, in the production of Funny Girl. So I came to the first rehearsal and uh, Ray Stark came in. Ray Stark was the producer and he, and also uh, David Merrick at the time was also one of the producers. And uh, when I came to rehearsal, they pulled me over on the side and said, uh, would you like to audition to understudy Barbara Streisand. I said, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I know about understudies and it's not a very, yeah, it's not a very gratifying yeah. job. It's, it's not very, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's not that it's not productive, it's productive, but it's not, it's not art. Yeah. I don't want to have to like put my foot down where she put her foot down every night and I want to do it my way. And if I can do it my way a little bit, I'm not saying I'm going to change the, you know, the play, but I would like very much to have creative uh, abilities. Yeah. And so they said, okay. And I auditioned, uh, you know, at, at once I auditioned, they said, okay. And I, I did the job the way that she was doing it. 
and I was um, very loyal to to the part of Fanny Bryce. And I, but I changed certain things that were just me. And so I was prepared from the get go, right. you know, to go on. But that's another story. <laughs> yes. You want to hear it? Yes, please. I was a year and a half in the show. I was a Ziegfeld Shop Follies showgirl. I was, um, we were like the backstage beauties, you know. Uh, everybody wanted to go out with us. We had, Manhattan was ours. And uh, we had the best time. And, but every night I would come to the theater and go, oh, my God, is she sick? Is she not sick? I, I, am I going to go on tonight? I would watch. And you know, finally, I, I oh, and everywhere I went in, in, uh, in, in, in New York in that, in that year and a half, people would say, you know, if you ever go on, call me. Tell so us. I had a little book and I would write their name and their number down. And I finally got the call. After a um, year and a half? After a year and a half. Oh, my God. Yeah, and it was a Wednesday. It was a Tuesday night. And uh, I came, they called me up and said, Barbara has strep throat. Um, uh, you have to come in and, and, and go on stage with the real actors. I had never been on stage with the actors. Right. Uh, I was just, you know, I always work with the understudy. So I was schlepped from pillar to post, you know, uh, Sidney Chaplin was incredible to me. He was just a, a dream. And I, I, I rehearsed. I went into Barbara's dressing room, dressed in her costumes. I mean, I had her housekeeper helping me. And, oh, my God, I was in paradise. But I was a nervous wreck. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a nervous wreck. And I, oh, by the way, I called everybody on my list. And they all showed up. And so did Barbara. And Barbara went up, and Barbara was in the wings, and I was waiting in the wings. And she walked right past me and walked onto the stage. And I was devastated. Devastated. I went next door to the coffee shop. There was a little coffee shop, and I just cried my eyes out. And I went back to the theater because I had to. And um, I went home that night. When I got up in the morning, it was headlines all over the newspapers. Show goes on, but Laney doesn't. It ain't funny, girl. Oh, my God. So oh, I, my God. You know, they call me up in this double mat, matinee and evening performance. You are going on today. You cannot call a soul. I said, can I please call my mother? And my mother had a duplicate list. And she called everybody back. <laughs> yes, she did. <laughs> and they all came. Oh. Not all, but, you know, right. a lot of the people came back and, they wrote me up in Time Magazine, and I—I I mean, I, it was just an amazing success. And I—I yeah. I gave my notice after that. I gave a two-month notice because I got a record contract. Wow. I got booked all over the the whole universe. I mean, I was like, I got a manager. I was I, I, William Morris signed me up. It was just—it was actually overwhelming. It was yeah. just a little too much for me. How did you keep yourself together and your feet on the ground? I did. All... You did I not. Did. How did, okay. So what, how did I you? I was just, 
I was handled. I was handled by a lot of very powerful men hmm. uh, who expected me to do whatever they said. What they wanted. Yeah, and I was given, I was privileged to watch Barbara Streisand deal with a success at 19 years old. And she did not handle herself, uh, you know, with, with a kind of um, softness that I had. Mm. I, I was very soft and very fragile. And she was a ball breaker. She would tell Garson Kanan, well, fuck you, you know. And, but it was a difficult time. And listen, I love Barbara. She's a great woman. And, you know, she had a big, big job. And I really respect what she did. I mean, I can't imagine myself at 19 years old carrying that kind of responsibility and doing what she did. She was amazing. And I learned so much from her. I learned some good things and some bad things. I, I, be, I became tough like she did, you know, and it didn't work for me. It just became, I was a bitch. She wasn't a bitch, but she didn't look like me. You know, she didn't have big breasts and was a sexy girl. You know, yeah. I, that, that, you know that wasn't, they didn't like me. They didn't like me when I was tough. They didn't like me. Um, I mean, I'm talking about the press. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I, I went back to who I was, but it took a long time. It took a long time for me to understand. I, I mean, when I say I learned so much from Barbara, that was my that was my my example of what a star did. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything else. She was difficult. She was uh, very very knowledgeable. She knew what she wanted and she got it. She would say, I'm not doing it that way. Oh, just listen to me. This is how I want it. Bomb, bomb, bomb. That's what I want the end to be. And she would get it. She would change all the music. She would change all the dialogue. She was unbelievable. And it was great because it was intrinsic. It was something was coming from her. And it was, that's why she was so brilliant. You know? Mm-hmm. And I thought I could do that, but I couldn't. And now I can do it. Right? Now. But, you know. but at, no, of course. Of course. But it took me 80 years. <laughs> Hello there. This is Eva Gabor and Eddie Albert. Yes, before we were on Green Acres, we were both Broadway babies, and we love listening to Behind the Curtain, Broadway's living legends. And don't forget to tell them to put pasties on, and a pastry, no, don't put pasties, go to patreon.com and set a donation. Yes, patreon.com, oh, do it for me, not for Zsa Welcome to the theater, darling. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So your, your career is taking off. You have all these wonderful albums coming out, club dates everywhere you even post for playboy i believe well that was that was interesting i was doing a movie um, um it wasn't my first movie dayton's devils was my first movie and uh i wanted to do dayton's devils not because the script was great but because i wanted to know what it was like to step in front of a camera yeah. and, and and you know and and be on in a movie set on a movie set i, I was doing this movie called um Romance of a Horse Thief with Eli Wallach and David Opatashu, who was in Bravo Giovanni with me. Mm. And he would always say to me, you're going to play my grandmother, who was a, 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 a madam in, in Poland. And I want to write the script for you. So and I did. And he hired uh, Yul Brenner and Eli Wallach. And it was the first time I really understood what acting was and, you know, film and it was a great experience. So there was a cameraman on the on the set who said, you know, you could do for the Jewish woman what Sophia Loren did for the Italian woman. Take her out of the kitchen, no more matzo balls, no more, you know, no more luxury. Right. <laughs> and and you know, it will make you a beautiful, sexy woman riding on a on a horse in the desert. I'm on. I said, I'm on. <laughs> and so when we got back to New York, he asked, it was Larry Schiller who wrote, a very famous author and, uh, and photographer. He had photographed Marilyn Monroe and Susan Atkins. That was his big claim to fame. Susan Atkins from the Manson family. <laughs> And you know Barrel Mendo. Oh yeah. And so that was it. And so he wanted to photograph me. And I thought, wow, I'm I'm so lucky, you know, this guy wants to photograph me. He said it'll be like Ruban paintings. And he did. He photographed I it was they were gorgeous photographs. And I thought, what can I do that Barbara Streisand can't do? I can do this. There you go. I mean, possibly she could have done it, but she wasn't going to at that time. Mm-mm. You know, and so I did it. And uh, I did it because I was an artist. I thought my body was beautiful at the time. It was like a work of art. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I I never thought of it as being naked. I didn't think of myself as doing something, you know, smutty. Mm-hmm. No, I thought of it as beautiful. And... Um, and they, some of the pictures were a little smutty, to be honest with you, but <laughs> they weren't. They weren't bad. They were just above, above the no, waist. They're, yeah. no, they're 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 stunning. Beautiful. Um, yeah. Beautiful. And is is this what sort of leads you to Hugh Hefner and uh, the jazz clubs, or unrelated? Well, yeah. Well, in a way, in a way, 
it was Seesaw first. So let's let's talk about that. So you've been doing club dates. You were on Dean Martin numerous times. I was on numerous, 26 wow. times. Jeez. Oh, my goodness. And, and you said he was a doll to work with. You enjoyed Oh, God, it. I just did a documentary um, that Scorsese is doing on Dean Martin. So I just did a, a, a piece for them. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, I loved him. And is that is that what sort of led you into the world of Seesaw? Well, then I got pregnant and I was having my baby, who's now going to be 50. Oh, my gosh. Marshall. That's crazy. I have a two-year-old, and so I, I can't even imagine, you know, knowing I mean, that like they grow up. <laughs> years old, and I remember carrying her around like a football. Totally. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, she's, she's a great girl, and uh, I was taking some time off. I, I was really exhausted. Yeah. And I read in the papers that Sty Coleman, who I dated oh. when I lived at the Whitby Apartments on 45th Street and 8th Avenue, used to buy me my groceries and take me to all these parties and he would have the woman on his arm. Oh, my God. And, uh, I would go to parties with Sty Coleman. I said, you're doing Seesaw, but Gittle Mosca is my favorite character in the whole world. I am Gittle Mosca. I don't have to go very far. I am. He says, fly in and you can just meet everybody and we'll audition you. So um, I came in. I sang a song. I think I sang The Man That Got Away. I um, did a scene from the play, Michael Stewart was there, uh, who was, wrote the book for, for Seesaw, and they hired me. And I was working like I was taught, slowly uh, going inside myself. Um, I would not learn my lines like, you know, like wrote. Mm -hmm. I would learn my lines as I worked which I now don't do anymore. Um, but that was the way I was taught. So they started getting nervous. We were, you know, I was not learning my lines and I, I, I needed to lose weight. And I, they put me in a, a, they wrapped me in plastic and put me in a, 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 some kind of a heating thing to lose weight. And I would ride on a bicycle every night, uh, like, you know, uh, indoor bicycle. They would send me to a gym. They they they, they butchered me. They, they 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 tormented me. I would study my lines every night, wrapped in cellophane. Seriously, I was wrapped mm -hmm. from head to toe so that I would perspire and lose Sweat weight. It out. And I lost a, a lot of weight, but uh, I, I was not feeling well. I wasn't. I was very tired. Very not good. Then our direct, our producer got arrested for assault and battery. And so the, the whole production just started off with no leader, you know, no leader. Right. And Larry Kasher, who was the associate producer, uh, was on Funny Girl as well. We're in Detroit now. And I had been in Detroit with Bravo Giovanni and I had been at the Fisher Theater. And so I knew my way around and... I was I was comfortable at last, you know, mm -hmm. and I was doing great in the show. I mean, it, my performances were stellar. 
And I mean that, you know, I don't say that, but I was, I was so Gittle Mosca, I can't even, uh, I, I, I've never taken a hold of a character like that. And I was with um, Ken Howard. And um, I don't think he liked me. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I really don't know. Um, but he, he started co to complain about me. And, you know, that I was never in the same place and I was wandering on the stage. And I was a little bit. I was looking for myself. You know, I was... Right. I was exploring. Exploring. Which now is acceptable. But then you were very... You had to be very rigid, very... And I was a... a, a, a I was kind of a forerunner in that world. Mm -hmm. And I was working in a way that made me really good but it was a slow process and I would get there, but they didn't trust it. So they started uh, looking for a director. Ed Sharon was the director. Ed Sharon, who I think was out of his league, he never had done a musical, but he was wonderful to me. And he loved my performance and he was complimentary and one night he took me to dinner and he said, listen, I'm going to be fired. He said, but even though I'm going to be fired, you are going to be here. And I want you to be comfortable and I want you to know what you're doing is wonderful and yada, da, da, da. Okay, the next day, different directors start coming in. And Michael Bennett was one of them. Mm. Michael Bennett never would see me. I would ask, could I have a meeting with him? He would not see me. I would get messages that he was too stoned. This is the 70s, okay? Mm -hmm. He's too stoned to come see you tonight. He's relaxing. I would speak to Avion, whatever his name was. Avion. Bob Avion. Mm -hmm. Bob Avion. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. And they never said anything to me. And my manager at the time was Ray Katz, who was a big manager. Uh, and he called me, and I'll never forget, it was the middle of January. And I was in Detroit, and it was freezing cold. Mm -hmm. And it was dark and damp, and everything was like, the, the, the air was cold. And he said to me, listen, you are gonna be fired. You're going to be replaced, he said. You're going to be replaced. You're going to be replaced by Michelle Lee, who was one of my dearest friends in the whole world. And she didn't call me. She didn't say anything. And, you know, we were in jo Giovanni together, Bravo Giovanni. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We were like this. So uh, I said, and they said, he said to me, you can stay and be a mensch. A, a, you know, really be, be respected for staying. Or you can leave the show and, and they'll close the show and reopen it with Michelle. And I just about, I, I could not handle between everything that had happened in my life. My daughter was with me. Um, my, my husband was in, taking care of my home, Peter. Yeah. And it was... It was a terrible, terrible time in my life. And I'll, I'll never forget, I went out with Sal Mineo one night and Morgana King, I went out with them. And we 
we went to a restaurant and he took his glass and he said to me, well, welcome to the land of the losers. And I played in some heavy traffic for a while. I, I would not come back. I stayed in New York thinking, they're going to find out that Michelle Lee is not ghetto Mosca. They are going to find this out. And, and I'm going to be, re- I, I, I was demented. I, I, I really thought that they were going to call me up and tell me, come back to the show. Because I was so good. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it was the best performance I ever gave in my life. And, um, and then they started with the balloons and Tommy Tune and the, oh, yeah. it was a ridiculous show. It had been a small, it had been Chorus Line. That's where Michael Bennett got his idea. I wore leotards and tights and just changed my outer garments. And I, it was a very small show. And he got his, and he used all the people in the show you know, uh, all the stories of, of the, the dancers. And um, I hated him. <laughs> I absolutely fucking hated him. <laughs> and I remember when I got nominated for my big, my, for my favorite year. Yeah. It was in a gay restaurant downtown in the, in the Soho area. And I w- walked over to his table and I said, my, and he was drunk. And I said, Michael, I want to thank you for my career. <gasps> yes. Maybe. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. I did. Oh, I went out and I worked in all the toilets of America after that. I couldn't get a job. I couldn't get a job. Yeah. No, no club would hire me. Nobody would do anything. So that's when I went to Wisconsin to the Playboy Resort. I was working in Milwaukee in some down and out saloon. And I was working, I didn't get paid. They didn't, they messed me up with my money. And so I called the the, 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 the Playboy Club up there and I said, you know, I used to work up here. I don't know if anybody's here that I know, but I'd love to come up and spend a weekend. If I could just sleep in a bed, that would be so great. They said, of course you can come up, Miss Kazan, just come on. So I went with my nanny and my baby, and I think one or two musicians came with me. Mm-hmm. We had beautiful rooms, and, I, and the director of um, entertainment was, was there, and the, the uh, manager of the hotel, and they invited me to dinner. And I walk in the room that I used to play in, and they said, there was a group there called the Shaggy Gorillas minus one buffalo fish. That was the name of the group. And so I said, what the hell are they doing here? <laughs> Wasn't this a great jazz room? And I said, Playboy and jazz were synonymous. You should da-da-da-da-da. And he says to me, would you like to go to Chicago and meet with Hefner and with Victor Lowndes and give him all your ideas? I didn't have all of those ideas. I just had this one idea that they should have jazz in the rooms. Right. And that what jazz wasn't anywhere right then and there. In 19, yeah. I think it was 73 yeah. or something, 75. And you knew a lot about clubs. You knew a lot about like, I, I had, knew what, how they were. You really spent some, club. yeah. I spent my life from the late yeah. 60s. Yeah. So 
I met with Hef. I went down in, in the free. Oh, it was 76. It was the Freedom Van. They got me a Freedom Van. It was 1976. And I went down in my jeans and my sweatshirt. And I met with Hefner and Victor Lowndes. And I said to them, you know, this is what you should do. And they said, listen, we have a little club in Los Angeles. And it's really not doing well. There's cocaine dealers. We got to get out that element. It's very bad. And we we will support you and we'll give you X amount of dollars to open the club. I'll take it. I knew nothing. I didn't know what I was going to do. But they put me up in, in, in Westwood. I started by getting putting tablecloths down and flowers. And I took all the, 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 the famous paintings. I didn't know they were famous. I took them all down and put up all these pictures of myself in the room. <laughs> and I booked all the jazz artists that I knew. Uh, Sarah Vaughan, we got Morgana King, um, Frida Payne. Um, oh my God, it went on and on. I just, I, I knew everybody, but I opened the club. I stayed there for two months and then got a roster of, of, of artists to fill in for me. And all of a sudden my career took off. I started working uh, to Fairmonts and mm -hmm. working at different clubs. And I, then I got a job uh, in a little movie because uh, I had so much publicity. I was the first woman to, you know, run, run nightclubs. Were you treated differently because of your gender as an entrepreneur? I was. In, in what I ways, was. please? Uh, the bunnies did not like me. I was in charge of them. And they would walk through the spotlight like this. <laughs> And I had like, no serving clause, you know, so they didn't, they, they weren't making as much money. But in the long run, they made more money because another clientele, a, a much more affluent clientele mm -hmm. would, would come in. Um, and the place started to really get a lot of recognition. And I advertised on airplanes. And I, I mean, it was unbelievable. I did all my own advertising. I did all my own ads. I, uh, I had uh, Sally Kirkland, who's a wonderful actress. She was my press agent. And Carl Parsons, who were, they were just two of my friends. And I had all my friends, from my friends down at the flower mart, and there were fresh flowers in there every night. And it was a, a, an opportunity and a, a responsibility that I loved. I mean, I loved being in, the, in, in an entrepreneurial uh, position and I felt strange when I would put on a costume and become an actor again mm. I felt in, immature did you ever think about leaving acting behind and so I did leave? I did in mm. fact I looked for a club oh and then I opened a club in New York yeah yeah I I, I did that February 78 and what were the names of your clubs Laney's Room it's perfect Laney's Room uh, West and Laney's Room East so here you are doing something I don't think you ever imagined yourself doing and being incredibly successful at it and revolutionizing the industry at the same time, which is so incredible and impressive. What then made you want to go back to performing? It was one from the heart. Mm. Francis Coppola and I went to school together. 
we went to Hofstra and we were friends for years and years and years. And he came to hear me sing at the Fairmont while I had my clubs. And, um, you know, it, was, it wasn't, wasn't always wonderful. I mean, I would get a, a call, you know, uh, somebody's husband was just killed at the airport and you have to come back. <laughs> you, know, okay. you have to open on Tuesday. I, you know, I just was, you know, I was always on call. So he, he, he can't, he, I happened to be able to do the Fairmont so in San Francisco. And he came, he was living in, in Napa and he came to hear me sing. And he said, you are really funny. I said, I am. He said, you're hysterical. I said, what did I do? He says, you just, you are. You are just a funny person. I can't explain it. He said, but I'd like to pick you up in my in my big car. I have a big car. And you and your daughter come up to Napa and have a big Italian dinner with us. And all the people I went to college with were working for him. And he was up there. He called it the Hofstra Nostra. <laughs> <laughs> And, and we went up to Napa and had this dinner, and he handed me this script of One from the Heart. I said, you mean I'm going to be in a movie of yours? I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. And it was that movie that made me, I had to leave. I had to leave mm. the clubs. I just had to. It was too important. Yeah. I sold my name to them for a year. And I thought I'd come back. But my career just took off right after uh, One from the Heart. I, I did my favorite year, and then I did Beaches, and, you know, my career was just booming. And and did not stop. Did you, when you were doing so much on-camera work, did you ever make any attempts to come back to the stage, or were you enjoying? Well, I couldn't. I was making yeah. so much money, and I was so successful with being nominated for a Golden Globe. And yeah. Then I got a call that my favorite year was being done as a Broadway show. Lynn Ahrens called me. And, um, and I went back and I, and I said I would do it. Had you known her previously? No. No. Uh, she, she, um, she begged me to come back. And, you know, um, and, I, and, I, and I thought to myself, it's a limited run. It'll be six months and I'll, it'll be over with. And of course, you know, and then I got nominated for Tony. Yeah. What was it like to revisit this character, but in a totally different medium? Strange. Because I was so intimate. The character was, was on screen. The camera was looking in on me so I could be whatever I, whatever I wanted to be. But I had to go out to do mm. the play. I had to like, it had to see me. Yeah. It's, it had to feel me. Now, now, the movie is one of the greatest comedies ever made, I think. I think, I think so too. Okay, good. Um, but, and I love the score to the musical, but unfortunately, the musical just didn't get the same sort of glowing reviews that the movie did. Do you have an idea of why that might be? Peter O'Toole wasn't in it. Hmm. Tell us a little bit about Peter O'Toole. Oh, my God. I have to tell you the first time I met him. Please. Mel Brooks was the producer of My Favorite Year, the movie. I don't know if people know that. but 
And so he said, Did you, on the first day, he said, would you like to meet Peter O'Toole? I said, oh my God, I'm so nervous. I love him, I love him. He's my, I'm, I idolize him. So I go into the knock on the trailer and I hear, come in. And his head is in the sink and he's wearing his little jockey shorts and his little skinny legs. And he's, he takes the towel and he puts it on his head and he twirls it around and he puts it in the back and he's wearing this towel on his head and his little underpants. And he says, Miss Kazan, I am so pleased to meet you. I'm honored. And dressed like that, you would have sworn he was in a tuxedo. Oh. He was the most wonderful, generous, kindest, brilliant man I've ever worked with. I loved him. And you know that he brought me flowers in the scene. I That wasn't in the scene when oh. I went for me. And he said, and, and Lou Jacoby goes, no, no, for me. <laughs> <laughs> and he brought me those flowers. It was all an improvisation. That's great. That's great. God, it's it's such a good. Okay, so you so you you think the musical really wasn't succeeding because it didn't I have think that. Peter O'Toole wasn't in it. I think Tim Curry was wonderful. Mm-hmm. I just think they also took out all the um, the the gang stuff, the the mafia stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why they took it out. And being nominated for a Tony Award uh, was was that also a thrill for you? I mean, Golden Globe nomination, Emmy nomination, right for Saint Elsewhere. And a Tony nomination. I mean, what a, what a wonderful I'd career like to, of blessings. I'd like to get an Academy Award nomination. I, I need to get that. It's not, it's, it's not too late. Let me, I would love to ask you if I can, just a couple of questions about, you know, your craft, if I may. What do you look for out of a director? For you, what's the ideal actor-director relationship? A, a person who can take my ideas as well mm-hmm. and, and allow me to inject what I feel into my performance and has an open heart and an open mind and someone who's not dictatorial. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Francis was kind of like that until he got angry. And then yeah. it was, he was difficult. Got it. But, uh, but Francis Coppola is a great director. And when you go into a rehearsal process, do you enjoy a lot of table work or do you just want to get up on your feet and start trying things? I do want to try. You want to get up? I want to get up and try. But I also appreciate a table read and I appreciate a couple of them, you know, to, to just kind of just sit and enjoy the script and feel what I, what, what feel and get some ideas and then put it on its feet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know they say because because you 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 teach now as well. Uh, you know they say a lot of times you know by your pupils you were taught. Is there anything that your students have taught you over the past few years of your teaching that you want to take with you when you go back up on stage or you go back in front of a camera again? Patience. Mm. I've had to have a lot of patience. Patience with Sometimes, them. Pardon me. I'm sorry. Patience with them. Yeah, patience with myself, Mm, mm. patience with my director, patience with the other actors, Um, because I've never been patient. 
and the, the, the students, I wish I had had the patience. People had been patient with me. Then that's what I look back on with my seesaw experience. Yeah. And I think to myself, if only they had patience with me. Going back to seesaw for a second, if I can, did you change your process after seesaw? Did you think in some way that you were being penalized for your process and therefore you I, had to change it? Yes, I did. And how so? And I did change it, but I didn't change it. I changed yeah. it so it would look like it was changed. Can you elaborate on that? Because yeah. I find that's what, yeah. Um, I, I learn my lines. I, I, I don't wait till I'm on the stage to learn my lines. Mm-hmm. I don't wait till I'm in rehearsal. I, I come in with, with my lines. That's my, that's my job. Then I keep myself open. I don't, I don't ask too many questions. I just do my job. Mm-hmm. But I don't share my process. I don't share what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I do it faster. If you, if you do it at home and if you really are doing it so that it becomes natural and it becomes who you are and in your character, then you can bring that on the stage. I, I don't wait till I'm... I, I, there's not too many directors who will allow you to explore. And that's what I find. Do you, th- do you think that's because of their own insecurity? Do you think that comes out of a, we have very money, little time? Money. Money, yeah. Money. money, and it's very sad because years ago you knew that film was a place that you had time to to develop. To But now film has got the same kind of, you know, uh, uh, money problems. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we have six weeks, That's we got to get it in. Got to get it in the can. I mean, television and film are the same now. Yeah. Come on set, know your lines, do your work. Now, I must say that all the films that were nominated this year look to me like they took their time. Yes. Yeah. And that was very satisfying. Well, let me ask you, you know, you are such a warm figure and means so much to so many people based on your, you know, maternal performances in film and television, like my big fat Greek wedding, the nanny, et cetera. Do you enjoy having people come up to you on the street and go? Yeah, I do. I do because they have so much love in them and, and, and they really appreciate what, and they say such lovely things to me. And we enjoy watching you. We have enjoyed watching you for so many years. You, anytime that we know that you're in a project or you're going to be doing your act, we know that we're always going to see a brilliant and beautiful moving performance. Lenny, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you so much, Robert. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And a big thanks to the punchy players, Jeff Marquis, who is bringing back Lucy, Betty, Judy, and Morda shill for us. And a big thanks to our sound editor, Daniel Schwartzberg, and social media manager, Bethany Ann Selecki. 
And don't forget, we want more folks to hear these incredible stories, and that's where you come in. In order for people to find out about us, we need lots of ratings on iTunes. So head on over to iTunes, search for Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends, click on our logo, click on ratings and reviews, then write a review and leave us five stars and make us feel as special as Eliza Doolittle on Eliza Doolittle Day. Or you can leave us just one star and you can make us feel as baddie, baddie, bad as Annie did in that really weird production in Boston where Annie dreamt that she was being adopted, but then she ended up back where in the orphanage, right? Back where she started. Yeah, true story. Rob saw it. Yes, and it was Betty. It was bizarre. I was there. I was. Oh, God. So head on over to iTunes and make us feel even more special than we already do. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.